Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 3? The book of Galatians, chapter 3. And with the time that I have this morning, I would like to preach a message entitled, Upholding the Ideal Amid the Ordeal. Upholding the ideal amid the ordeal. Let us pray. Father, we're so thankful that you have not only made a way by sending Jesus, but you've made a way every day for us. It's not just looking back 2,000 years ago, but it's looking back yesterday. It's looking back this morning that you are a way-making God. And Father, I come to you now asking that you would make a way as I preach and teach your word. Father, I have never preached a perfect sermon. And I don't believe I will this morning. I don't believe it's possible. But I'm grateful, Lord, that I can preach from a perfect word about a perfect savior who has a perfect love for all of us. Lord, if nothing else today, might we be reminded of how powerful, how beautiful, how gracious, how merciful you are. And thank you, Lord, that you're so good to us that your mercy leads us to a lifestyle of repentance. Thank you for this word, it's needed. I know it's needed for me, for my life, for my family. And I believe, Lord God, it's needed in this hour. Open the ears, the hearts, the minds of your people as we open your word. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. On Thursday of this past week, my wife and I exercised our right to vote. And so on Thursday, we voted in the Tennessee primary. And my youngest daughter, who just turned 18, she exercised her right to vote for the very first time. So we're so grateful that we live in a country where we have the ability to vote because that is not the case around the world. And even though uh, many in our country still have obstacles that are put in their way to vote, By and large, uh, the vast majority of us have the ability to vote freely in this country. And not only do we have the ability to vote freely, we have the ability to worship freely in this country. We are free to worship or not to worship. While I was in Cincinnati, I went to see a concert that was in the Cincinnati Bengals football stadium and uh, two people associated with our church were singing that day. Um, One was Kevon Edmonds of After Seven. Um, He and his group uh, were on the stage that day. And then Kirk Whalum, who served as an elder at our church for so many years, who now lives in Memphis, his hometown, um, he was also on the stage preceding uh, uh, Miss Nasty, Janet Jackson. Uh, uh, so, So I went to support our church members uh, that day. And I love Kirk. 
because no matter what platform he is on, no matter the size of the platform, Kurt is going to talk about his love for Ruby, his wife, and his love for Jesus, his Savior. So on that platform with thousands of people in that stadium, Kirk sent greetings to all the Muslims who were present. He sent greetings to the Hindus who were present. He also sent greetings to any atheists who were in the stadium at that time. And then he said, I am a Christian and I am in love with Jesus because Jesus loves me. And he went on and quoted Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. So in the midst of a diverse setting, he was able to respect different religions or even no religion that was present amongst the people. And yet he also held high the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ. And then he played the heck out of that saxophone, rendering unto God great musical skill. And so I looked at that and he has always done that. He's free in the Lord. In a strong tower, there is freedom. At least we want there to be. Because in the book of Galatians, it says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. And so I pray that this church would be free for anyone. Anyone to come. Anyone can come. I just met a young lady during the meeting greet who was on her way back to Alaska, but her flight was canceled. And so she somehow found our church. And I'm so glad that she came because anyone is free to come. And those who come will soon discover that we proclaim Jesus in here and we proclaim Jesus away from here because we are not ashamed. Jesus is for everybody, even though everybody is not for Jesus. Oh, Lord. We are grateful that Jesus came to save sinners a word that a lot of people don't like to hear, to admit that they're sinners. And even once we do get saved, yes, we have this new position and new identity, but we're still sinners. Oh, my. And he not only came to save sinners who are lost and even found, but he also came to heal sick people, sick people who know that they're sick, and not just physically, but above all of the soul. In a recent pre-membership class that we had here, I shared our mission statement like I always do. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ, not disciples of a denomination, not disciples of Chris Williamson, not disciples of Strong Tower, but disciples of Jesus, not a discipleship of Christian nationalism, but a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so I share the mission and then I go on to share the vision statement, which is our vision is to experience, explain and expand God's diverse kingdom in the city and throughout the world. And we take that vision statement from the verse we're going to read today in a moment, Galatians 3.28. So I share the vision about God's diverse kingdom from that passage, how in Christ we are very different and at the same time we are one. We are one but not the same. Whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, we are different and we are one. We are one, but we are not the same. So there's diversity in the body of Christ. There's diversity in heaven. There's diversity in the kingdom of God. Not this thing about uniformity, calling it unity. 
But no, there's a freedom to be who you are in Christ. As Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. If you don't love me, that's your problem because I know he loves me. If you don't accept me, that's your problem because I know he accepts me in the beloved. So at Strong Tower, for 27 years come September, we've been experiencing this diverse kingdom. Has it been easy? No. Has it been worth it? Yes. We've been walking in it, experiencing it, explaining it, and seeing God expand his earth, his rule on earth through the local church. And I'm so thankful that we're part of his kingdom paradigm. And so when I share the vision and the word diversity comes up, it always brings out a conversation. What kind of diversity are you talking about? Because there's a diversity that's going on in our world. Um, there's a diversity that's going on in our schools. And diversity has different meanings depending upon who you talk to. And so people want to ask, what does the word diversity mean for us? Many years ago, I had people even suggest we shouldn't even have that word in our vision statement because of the negative connotation surrounding diversity in the broad culture. But I had to remind that person, and I remind all of us today, that we have to take some words back. And we need to realize what some words meant originally before they were kind of um, shifted and meant to, to mean something else. And so diversity is a good word when you read 1 Corinthians 12 because it talks about the diversity of gifts, that everybody doesn't have the same gift, thank God. There are diversity parts in the body of Christ. Not everyone is an eye or a foot, but, but there's so many diverse body parts. So diversity in the kingdom is a good thing. Difference in the kingdom is a good thing. Well, near the end of that class, a gentleman asked the question. He said, okay. He said, my youngest grandson is currently wrestling with his sexual identity. Would he be welcome to come to Strong Tower Bible Church? It's a great question. My grandson, who is wrestling with his identity sexually. I love this church, but I want to know, would I be able to bring my grandson Am I free to bring him? Is he free to come? And I said to him in front of that class, and if you were in that class, you know what I'm saying is not a lie. It is the truth. I said, absolutely. We want him to come. We want anyone and everyone to come because they're not coming to us ultimately. People are coming to the Jesus we promote, lift up, worship, preach about, pray to. People are coming to Jesus. And Jesus came for sinners, which includes all of us. Jesus is for everybody. Amen. So come on. And when you come, realize that in this house, he will be exalted and his word will be taught in love. All of us come to church with all kinds of issues, if we're honest. But we know how to dress up our issues in spiritual garb. But we all have deep-seated hurts and questions and even confusion in our souls. But thank God there are two things we all find in Jesus when we come to him. Those two things are called grace and truth. <laughs> John 1, 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full 
of grace. He never gets empty of grace and truth. Verse 17 says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That is what we all need, grace and truth. We all need grace to save us and truth to sanctify us. We all need grace to reach us in our sins and truth to teach us in our sins. We all need grace to bring us out and truth to keep us in. We all need grace to cover us and truth to consecrate us. Grace to change us and truth to challenge us. Grace to find us and truth to free us. He is full of grace and truth, but so often, maybe because of our experiences or maybe because of our traumas, we want to make Jesus more of one than the other. We either want to make him all grace and no truth, or all truth and no grace. But our Lord had a perfect balance within himself. Not only was he the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. What a mystery, Paul says in 1 Timothy. But he was also full of grace, and he was also full of truth. And if this is his church, and it is, which he is the head of, his church ought to also be full of grace and full of truth. You see, questions and expressions surrounding sexuality, surrounding gender, gender identification, these things are prevalent in our society today. And it's not just out there, it's in here. We have to be honest because we can't experience grace and truth if we're not being honest with what we see around us and even with what we see and feel within us, but I'm so glad that Jesus is a healer who can make a way. Not long ago, I saw an article while I was on break about a transgender inmate in New Jersey who, while in jail, serving over 25 years, impregnated two women in jail. That is something that the authorities are having to deal with as far as those who operate the prison system where should transgender individuals go? And in this particular case, a man who was born male, but then who identifies as a female, was sent to jail and he was placed amongst women. And while in that jail cell identifying as a woman, this inmate chose to have relations with female inmates that he, she was surrounded with. And so it leaves the, the mainstream systems of the world scratching their heads. How, how do we work with this? And then just recently in Williamson County, an article came out this past week of parents of a eight-year-old transgender child. They are suing the Williamson County School Board because of the trauma that has come upon their child over bathroom privileges. So now listen, God has not called us to be so heavenly minded that we're not earthly relevant, that we're not earthly present. These are the people who go to school with our children. In some regards, these are people in our own families, okay? But does God not have a way? Does God not have a word? 
How do we uphold his ideal amid all the ordeals around us and even the ordeals within us? One thing I know for sure is that no doctor can minister to a patient if the patient doesn't think that he or she is sick. If we're sinful, we're sick. Now here's the thing about sin. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 17 that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't even know how deep our depravity goes. Okay? So the way we get healed is by saying, Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Then the healing begins. Not a healing that he zaps you and you never have a problem again. A few of us may have deliverance stories and testimonies like that. But for the majority of us, our deliverance is a day-by-day walk where Jesus walks with us through sexual struggles, questions, and temptations. Why? Because Jesus knows all about our struggles. My God. Oh, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to preach. And so this young fella in jail, this young child in school, they have challenges and questions and they're hurting others. They are causing others to have their lives disrupted because even within our church, I received an email from one of our members who no longer lives in town but considers themselves a member of Strong Tower. And I asked if I could share this without naming names. They agreed, and here's the gist of the email that they sent to to their pastor. Even though they're in another community, they still consider me their pastor and someone that they can reach out to. And in this email, they talked about how their child is suffering through what is called gender dysphoria. And it has led to the child cutting and even the child speaking of suicide. And so there's a lot happening, okay? But we as God's people cannot put our heads in the proverbial sand and hope that these things go away. How do we minister to people? How do we walk with people? How do we encourage them? And not just from this pulpit, but from your kitchen table, in your classrooms, in your families. How do we minister to people who have questions, who have struggles, who have challenges. Well, discussing gender and sexuality, listen to this strong tower, is a discipleship moment, okay? Discipleship. Everything for us is a discipleship moment, everything. And a disciple is a learner, a student, a pupil, someone who doesn't know everything. And the teacher of these disciples is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is always teaching, but the question is, are we always listening and learning? Everything is a discipleship moment. Discipleship is so important that when we go to heaven, uh, the Bible says in John 17, Jesus says that eternal life is the knowledge of God. So throughout all heaven, we're going to be learning about God in heaven because we'll never get to a place where we'll come to a capstone to say that the knowledge is finished and done with God. No, every day, if there is such a thing in eternity, we're gonna be learning about God, knowing God. So as disciples, we're learning from the master. And since none of us have arrived, we all have places to grow and learn on all matters that we go through in this life. 
And the crux of the Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for knowledge, for reproof, for correction. And listen to this, for instruction in righteous living. So if we're going to be his disciples, we got to get into the word. Jesus said in John chapter 8, you are truly, beginning at verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, that means remain, hang out in the word, not just on Sunday, but if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed or for real. Because you can't have the logos, Jesus, the eternal word, without the rhema, the written word. He said, and you shall know the truth. Where does the truth come from? The word. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you what? Free. If the truth makes us free, what does a, a lie do? And Satan is such a good liar, he's the father of lies, that he could deceive angels to turn on God in heaven. So don't you think he can't deceive you or me? Next week, we're going to talk about how he deceived Peter. And Jesus had to correct Peter because Peter got a hold of some bad doctrine. Oh, are you there? Can you say amen? Amen. amen. God created you and me to be free. But there's no freedom without truth. He saved you and he saved me to be free. Spiritual freedom has benefits to it. It also has boundaries. Oh, I don't have the time to take you to Genesis, but you know the story. Well, when God created Adam and Eve, he said, you are free to eat. You are free to eat. He created them to be free. Freedom, benefits, all these trees, the oceans, the birds, you have dominion over all of this. You are free. And then God says, I have some boundaries in the midst of the freedom. Don't eat from this tree. He has the right to say that. From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat from that tree. And so within freedom, there are benefits and there are boundaries. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, Galatians 5.1. He wants us free, not bound. And yet God will say, here are the benefits, but here are some boundaries. Because in Galatians 5.1 it says, it is for freedom that he sets you free, but do not become entangled in a yoke of bondage. Don't use, or should I say, misuse your freedom to indulge your flesh. Don't use grace like a credit card. And then in Genesis, in the garden, he says, you're free to eat, but there are boundaries. Don't eat from this tree. Now, when it comes to sex, that three-letter word that we don't like to talk about in church, but they talk about it everywhere outside of church. <laughs> God says there are benefits and there are boundaries. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all. And the bed, speaking of the marriage bed, undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Do you see that? Benefits. The marriage bed is undefiled. God created sex. 
God created sex to be enjoyed within the confines and the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. That was God's will. But sex outside of that will bring upon the individual's judgment. If you don't believe me, ask David. If you don't believe me, ask the great Moses who had two wives. If you don't believe me, ask Jacob who had four wives. There, there's a certain kind of struggle that you're going to have when you go outside of the ideal because there's an ordeal going on and you either want to justify it or again, you just want to appease your flesh because it's selfish. All of us have that propensity to be selfish. But a disciple is called to deny self. Wait a minute, Pastor. I just want to come to church, hear word, go home. I won't be challenged. Well, it's not me challenging you. It's Jesus who challenges. Deny yourself. Matter of fact, because I know it's tough, you're going to have a monogram cross that you got to take up. There's some dying to self you're going to have to do. Because God knows if you try to walk out here talking about I'm free and you can do whatever you want with whomever you want, whenever you want, you're going to get hurt. You can't drive your car down the wrong side of the street talking about I'm free. <laughs> yeah, you're free to drive, but stay on the right side of the street. And just in case you drift, we got some yellow lines there. And just in case you drift to the other side, we got some things to wake you up, the little rivets in the road, because we're trying to protect you as you are free to drive on the right side of the road. And if you cross over, not only will you hurt yourself, you're going to hurt someone else. So there's freedom which has benefits, but also it has boundaries. When Paul said in Galatians 3.28, let's read that verse, Galatians 3.28, the theme verse of Strong Tower. It says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, that's race. There's neither slave nor free, that's class. There's neither male nor female, that's gender, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we are one but we're very different. We celebrate our differences because God has unified us through Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, he is taking us back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Let me read that for you. Then God said, let us make man in our image According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the male, or male and female construct, that's what God set up in the beginning, male and female, as far as gender. God set that up from the beginning. Before the fall, and even after the fall, Jesus recognized what God's ideal was in the beginning of male and female. Okay? Now, in weeks to come, the way we're going to do this is 
I can't answer all of your questions that you may have here at the end of church. And I stay here and I greet people. And you want to come up to me with questions. And some of you may come up livid because you've heard it taught a different way. And you want to... After church is not the time for me to engage with you here. But here's what we're going to do. We're, at the end of this message, in just two minutes, three minutes, I'm going to give a number, a text number that you can text questions to. You can text comments to. You can text prayer requests to. You can text praise reports to. It is anonymous. We will not know who you are. I'm going to say that again. It's anonymous. So you can feel free to just text anything you want. I will get it. And my wife and I on Wednesday, starting this coming Wednesday, from our kitchen table through the month of August, we're just going to sit and answer as many of those questions as we can. We're going to pray for people who send in prayer requests. Uh, we're going to invite in various experts to share with us who know um, so much more than we do. I'm a pastor. I'm not a therapist. I'm a pastor. I'm not someone who understands all the nuances of medicine and all those things. So we're going to bring people in to speak to these matters, but people who have a sound biblical ethic. I'm going to bring in people who um, would classify themselves as gay Christians, but they don't practice homosexual behavior. We're going to talk to those folks, okay? Because my goal is to help you. My goal is to encourage you. My goal is to let you know you're not alone and there's nothing wrong with you. I'm a pastor. Man, let me pastor you. Let me encourage you. Amen. Ah, boy. So my wife and I, Wednesdays, are going to do that. We're talking about doing a seminar later in the fall when parents have questions, when people have questions. Doesn't mean we're going to have all the answers, but man, we're going to approach this together as a family. Because I would venture to say it's in your home. It's in my home and family, these conversations, these discussions. And again, there's nothing wrong with you. But I got to go on and read Genesis 2, 21 through 25. And the Lord God caused deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This is what God created, and this is what God blesses. But because of sin, this has become distorted in all of us. The first thing, as I mentioned earlier, that was noticeably affected when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate from the tree that they were forbidden to eat from. The Bible says that their eyes were open and they realized they were naked. So before, please don't miss this, before they realized that they were far from God, that sin separated them from God, sin separated them from one another, and they realized that they were naked. So what was once beautiful is now shameful. And so we have inherited from Adam and Eve not only a fallen human nature, but we've also inherited from them a distorted sexuality. And it hits differently for all of us. And when we bring into it experiences and culture, trauma, how the brain is formed for children, oh, oh, we all need help. But we won't get help if we can't at least admit that I need help. My goodness. Well, 
How do we uphold this ordeal? Because the ordeal is male and female. This ordeal, uh, it, it, excuse me, the ideal is male and female. And this ideal is so strong that when God says, okay, we're going to send the flood and start over again. Here's what we're going to do. I want Noah and his wife to get on board, Shem and his wife, Ham and his wife, Japheth and his wife. So this two by two coupling, male and female, because the potential to procreate is within these opposites that attract and attach. And then I'm gonna send animals two by two to get on board Noah's Ark so that when they come out, they can repopulate. Because when God made the differences, he made them to connect with the possibility to procreate and carry on his glory in the earth through humans made in his image. That's impossible with people who are in same-sex relationships. And so God has given us this ideal. And not only that, in the book of Genesis, you see other complementary couples. There's the sun and the moon. There's day and night. There's morning and evening. There's dry land and sea. There are plants and animals. And God says all of that is good. But then when he says male and female, husband and wife, that is very good. So we uphold that ideal amid the ordeal where people want to add to that paradigm that God put together or they want to take away from that paradigm. We're sensitive to those folks, but we're not going to change the ideal because of ordeals that are in the world. And these ordeals are not only in the world, if we're honest, they're within us, okay? Wednesday, Dorena and I will expound more on it. We're out of time today, so I can't go any further into that. But on Wednesday's Bible study online, we'll send the notes out so that you can look at these things and, and be prepared with us. Because I would venture to say, some of you have never been taught well. So you're making stuff up. And you're going with what feels good, but it's not right. It's not consistent with truth. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, again, you got to be in his word, not in what you think or even what you feel. Feelings are important, but they shouldn't be first place in determining the value systems of our lives. Truth does that, not feelings. Because what I feel today, I might not feel tomorrow. Feelings are all over the place, but truth remains. So as believers who follow Jesus, we need to walk in the truth and uphold the ideal. We uphold the ideal by knowing what it is and knowing that it will not change. God loves you, but he's not going to change the ideal for you. Upholding the ideal by speaking the truth in love to those who may not know what it is. We uphold the ideal by being humble and gracious as we share. No one likes an arrogant person, yet alone an arrogant Christian. You come around, I got the answer. Don't nobody want to receive nothing from you? And that's why people don't want to talk to church folk, because we bashing them and beating them up with the truth. But I see Jesus walking with sinners. I see Jesus sitting down with sinners, not condemning, surely not condoning, but somehow compelling them. 
I want to be like Jesus. And as I sit at tables with people who have different beliefs and value systems, I'm not there to condemn. I'm not there to condone. I'm praying that I can compel them by the love of God. And it's not my job to change anybody. I just want to represent him well and not be ashamed of his ideal that folks think is old-fashioned and all of this. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And I'm standing on the word, this ideal amid the ordeal around me and even in me. I got junk in me. I am attracted to women. Some of you will say, Pastor, I'm attracted to men and I'm a man. I'm attracted to women and I'm a woman. Some of you will say, I'm attracted to both. So this thing we got from Adam and Eve, we need rescue. We need help. But we're not going to redefine the ideal to make us feel better about the ordeal around us or within us. We're not going to change the book. We need to change. And that's a process. And that's why he's full of grace and he's full of truth. I've been doing this for a minute, y'all. Church started in Franklin. Franklin is one of the bastions of conservatism. Red City. Red County, conservative. I had the nerve to start a multiracial, multi-economic church up in there because God said so. And the conservatives came. Another label, the people on the right came. And they liked the kumbaya, black and white and brown and native people come together. Oh, But the minute we stopped talking as much about racial reconciliation and started talking about racial justice, the conservatives, wait a minute now, going liberal on us. Well, let me show you from the book about repair and reparation and justice. Let me show, well, we don't want you to be our pastor no more, so we're going to leave the church. And it happened. My wife and I got invited to the first and second inauguration of Barack Obama. When we went to the first one, we went because one of the members of our church, dad was a Republican congressman. And he knew the historical ramifications of the moment. And so he said, would your pastor and first lady like to come to Washington for the inauguration? And we said, absolutely. At Strong Tower then and now, I've never promoted a candidate I just try to preach the truth. And when politics comes up, it comes up. But I'm not about promoting candidates. But when we got back from being at the inauguration, one of our strongest families left the church because for them, for me to go to D.C. to celebrate Barack Obama's presidency, that was liberal. And they left the church. And they ended up joining a church that was conservative with the American flag all up in the sanctuary. And the church that was so conservative, it started getting into Christian nationalism. But they left Strong Tower because I went to an inauguration. Now God moved me out of red Franklin and Williamson County and put me into blue Nashville and blue Davidson County. 
And now I have people coming who are more progressive in thinking, a little bit more liberal in thought, who identify with the social justice movement, the strong tower and racial justice, amen. But now when we start talking about a biblical moral sexual ethic, the temptation is gonna be to kick rocks and get up out of here. I don't want you to leave. But if you leave, I understand. Try not to give us a middle finger as you go. But if you go, it's okay. It's okay. But I think God has something for you. Jesus stretches people. When Jesus ate at Zacchaeus' house, he was stretching folks. When Jesus touched lepers, he was stretching folks. When Jesus sat with the woman at the well, he stretched his disciples. The teacher always stretches his pupils. Hang with me these 14 weeks. There's something for you to learn. There's something for me to learn because we don't know it all. You ever get a new car? You get a new car, man. It smells good. You wish you could keep that smell in there. But then you go to Taco Bell and mess everything up. <laughs> but that new car smell. Ooh. And the thing about a new car, the steering column is so right and exact. You can drive your car and take your hands off the wheel and the car is just going to go straight down the road. But it doesn't stay like that. Because over time, there's a thing called wear and tear. Over time, there's a thing called potholes. You hit a pothole, and all of a sudden, you threw your steering off. And you better keep your hands on the wheel, because now the car is turning to the right. It's just kind of bent this way, because it's out of line. Or you hit a pothole, and it's going this way to the left, and you got to hold it tight, because it's out of alignment. And so in order to get the car running right, you got to take it somewhere, that they can give it a front in alignment so they don't get pulled to the right or pulled to the left. I just want to let y'all know before I close this in prayer. The potholes of life has messed all of our steering up. I know you don't think it's you, but, 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 but me, the potholes of life, man, the dips, the, the crashes, the bumps, the bruises, man, I'm leaning this way. Some days I'm leaning that way. Oh, I hear that argument over there from the conservative camp. Oh, I hear that argument over there from the progressive camp. But I'm going too far this way. And one thing I've known that if you're going to pastor this way, you've got to know how to pastor from the center. You've got to pastor from the center of God's word, from the center of God's will. And if you find yourself going too far to the right, Holy Ghost realign me. If you find yourself going too far to the left, Holy Ghost realign me where there's grace and where there's truth. We're going to get aligned in this service and in this series. Stand with me, y'all, and let's pray. Let's pray. I told y'all two minutes. I took 12. All right. <laughs> Father, forgive me. But I thank you, Lord, that your house is not only to be a house of prayer, but it's to be a house of truth and instruction. Lord, as your students, as your pupils, as your disciples, we need you to teach us and Doreen and I can help. The elders, we can help. But Lord, there's an anointing that teaches us things that no one can teach us. So help us, Lord, to look into the Bible with new eyes. Help us to see what you are saying. 
knowing that, Lord, we might have to realize that our grandfather was wrong or that our pastor was wrong or what I feel has been driving my experience with you as opposed to your truth informing my feelings. Lord, we're all in for an alignment. Thank you for this body, Lord. I thank you that they will trust me as they trust you above all. Help me to be faithful, to teach them, lead them, and serve them well. Thank you, O oh God. I thank you for the power that's in your word. I thank you, Lord, for how you bring conviction and convincing. I thank you for how you trouble us when we know we're out of alignment. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you want to center us again. Center this church. Center each person in your grace and in your truth. We love you so much. Now unto him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. It's according to the power that's at work within us. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power now and forevermore. Amen. And brothers, can you put the number on the screen for those who have text questions you want to send to me, comments, all of that. God bless you guys. Have a good day. We'll be online Wednesday, and Lord willing, we'll see you next Sunday.